Hi, I'm Will, the editor. Sarah and Arden are busy organizing for season two of the podcast. But for the time being, please enjoy a special episode from our last Women and Gender Diverse People in Tech meetup. We host these fantastic meetups every month, which provides a great and safe space for networking, making friends, and learning. If you're interested, head over to codediversity.org for more information. Now, please enjoy the special. who are the traditional custodians of this land. I would also like to pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging of the Wabakul and Wurrumai nations and extend that respect to other Aboriginal people present. It's a, a fun inclusion that I like to do every month and this inclusion is Inclusion at Work Week! Woo! Which was so widely recognised that I only heard about it today when Arnon <laughs> sent it to me. Um, but get... I never did any research on this, but get inclusive at work. Um, because inclusion is a good thing, as we all know. Um, thank you to our sponsors. Every month we like to thank our sponsors. We have the amazing, amazing MGA Thermal, which give us Arden. Uh, we have Nui Tech People, which are awesome. They give us the space, the pizza, my time. Yay! <laughs> we have Fres Tech, um, who are uh, one of our first commercial sponsors, and we have the Port of Newcastle, who are also one of our commercial sponsors. Um, so big shout out to them. I really appreciate them coming on board. We're officially not for profit, and I said this last month, but now it feels more official because I've done more of the paperwork um, and read about a thousand legal documents. So if you want to know about the financial or tax structures of a not-for-profit in Australia or how to become a registered charity, please hit me up because I have all of that information cooking around in my brain now. Um, and we'd love for you to get involved. And how you can do that is joining us online um, through our many internet channels such as Instagram and YouTube and I'm sure some others. Oh, LinkedIn, yeah. Um, and I've actually included a, that is a QR code to our new website, um, which is codediversity.org if you want to look it up later. And that's kind of a collation of all of the stuff that we do. Um, so we do obviously this meetup, the Women and Gender Diverse People in Tech. We also do our podcast, Breaking the Binary. Um, and we're looking at doing more individual and business support as well to really help women and gender diverse people in tech kick some metaphorical butt. Um, <laughs> there's also a bunch of other community groups that we love. And I can't read any of them because I'm not wearing my glasses, but they're all lovely. And you can find them all on Meetup or on the Slack, or you can send me a message and say, Sarah, I would like to join a community group and I like X thing. And I will say, great, the perfect one for you is uh, a re relevant group. And that is how the system will work. <laughs> now to our panel. And for our panel, we're going to get a little bit interactive. Ooh. Um, and we're going to do that via Slido, which I really hope works. And it does. So you can go to slido.com or you can scan that QR code um, to get involved. This will allow you to answer, I mean, ask questions of the panel while the panel is speaking. And then I can see them and relay those questions. Because I know how annoying it is when you have a really good question cooking up in your brain. And you just have to hold it. And maybe you'll put your arm up and your arms up for an uncomfortably long amount of time and you feel like you're back in primary school and you're like, tell me for sure. 
just let me ask the question. Um, so now we have a system for that. And also there'll be some fun polls. Um, so I'm gonna assume everyone's on, and if not, that's fine. This is not a mandatory exercise. <laughs> and this is a poll. It's gone straight to a, a poll, which is perfect, because that's just what I planned. On a scale of one to five, what are your energy levels like today? Five being high, everyone, just in case that wasn't. Um, yeah, so if you, oh, look, the live voting works. Someone's having a bad day, and that's okay, because that's, that is allowed. Um, we've got, oh, we've got, ooh, that's nice. That's aesthetic. It's good that we're skewing more towards fives. Oh, sh oh shit, we've got fours and fives. At least number one isn't, oh, okay, everyone's feeling good. Oh, sh someone's feeling bad. Um, we've got 16 votes, and that feels like I'm not very good at counting very fast, but approximately the right amount. Anyone else? Oh. <laughs> how many pieces, of, like also add how many pieces of pizza you've added and then we'll see if there's a correlated variable. Uh -huh. And we have the ability to ask questions. So you should notice on your phone now, if you're looking at the same screen, it's popped up with an audience Q&A and you're the audience. So you can Q&A right there, live. And I can see it because the power of technology. Um, and without further ado, we're gonna flick to the panel. Um, Kathy, you're up first, quick intro. What are the like key facts and context that people need to know about you to make anything you say in this panel make sense? No pressure. Kathy. <laughs> 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 um, I'm the head of product engineering at HireUp, uh, which is a platform for NDIS participants to connect with support workers and um, manage their bookings. Um, so I run, I run a department of software engineers, so I have five teams um, plus one little mini team um, in my department. Um, my background is in, uh, I did a lot of digital media um, for quite a few years. Um, I was mostly in sort of front end and JavaScript engineering. I did some work with startups, did a little bit of agency work. Um, and I also worked for quite a few years at Data61, which is a part of CSIRO. So I ran a team that went around doing kind of product engineering for Research projects, and that's me. Woohoo! All right, set the bar high, Linda. Mm, very high. <laughs> um, so my name's Linda Apostolidis. I'm a director at Nui Tech People. Um, so um, I've been a director for three and a half years, and have a co-director, which is great, James McDonald, to it's share not the, me the leadership. <laughs> <laughs> I manage this delightful um, human being. Um, I have probably about 10 years leadership experience and this is the second business that, that I've had. So predominantly prior to recruitment, I worked in advertising and marketing. Yeah. Amazing. Awesome. So Louise Hitchcock. So I'm the head of research and development at Sandvik Rock Processing. So we're manufacturers of processing equipment for mines. Uh, probably been background as a mechatronics engineer and been doing it for eight years. Took on the role of running the department, which does digital and mechanical products. So I have two different teams mm. doing the new products for our company. Uh, been in this role just for a year, but been with the company for two and a half. Um, and then worked in construction and renewables before then, building embedded systems. Amazing. I'm yeah. the least techie person on the panel. Just so you know. But the most likely to kill you with a knife. So <laughs> keep that in mind when you're submitting Q&A questions. I will find you. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> Not me, but someone will. No. <laughs> Um, Beck Shepherd, I'm the general manager of a local cybersecurity company called Alpha Echo. Uh, we're currently sitting at around 37 people, which is a huge growth. We were three about three years ago, so I've had the fortunate experience of um, growing that company with our director and our team. We work primarily with the government, so do a lot of government consulting working on defence weapons systems and securing those. My background before becoming a consultant, I spent, I joined the military at 17 years of age and I spent um, 13 years yeah, in intelligence. My first job was actually in targeting, so I did a lot of the bombs, understanding how they're built and how we use them in wartime. And then I became an intelligence officer specialising in electronic warfare. Um, then I got out and went into cyber. So that's me. Woohoo! I'm not scared <laughs> at all. <laughs> in a fun way. All right. For this, the first question we're going to ask you, we're actually going to ask the audience first, um, so no pressure. Everyone, the slider is still relevant, just so you know. It's a word cloud, and in one or two words, because, again, it's a word cloud, not a sentence cloud, what does leadership mean to you? And this is a good chance for you guys to think about what that question's going to be and pre-plan your answers. It's got to be. I've got one word submitted so far, everyone. So that's good. Just culture. Oh, there we go. Perfect. Yeah, they do. Oh, we're, we're live streaming experts now. We've done it at least once before this. <laughs> How many people do we have online? 12. Hopefully it's not all... Cybersecurity, uh, <laughs> intelligence analysts. <laughs> I'm going to break their slido, they think. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> right, we might have, well, oh, role models coming in hot and fast. I'll wait till we have around 16 votes again because that's how many we got for the baseline number. No pressure, everyone. If you want this word cloud to go away, get submitting. Oh, 14. Ooh, oh, support's taken over as largest. I really should have worn my glasses for this. <laughs> Be the light. That was almost two words. Um, how do I make you big? I can't. Fair enough. N no pressure. Awesome. Well, we've got some really good answers here, and I'm going to throw it to the panel. And I'm going to start with Beck first, because you got to go last last time. Sorry, Beck. You said, oh, if I sit furthest away from you, you won't ask me questions. And that was like a, a red cloth to a bull. <laughs> Don't tell me what I can't do. <laughs> uh, what does leadership mean to you? Tell us a bit about your leadership journey, where you're at now, and how you got there. Um, I instantly want to go to the cliche answer that the military tell us what leadership is, but instead I think for me leadership is about inspiring others to achieve their, their best or their most potential. I think um, leadership is about empowering people and also ensuring that they feel safe in where they're working and that they're enjoying what they do. So I don't think leadership is tied to rank or a position. I find it really weird when people say I'm a leader in my role because I think every single person in my company is a leader. I think everyone has the potential to be a leader. It is a learned skill and um, in doing so I think it really doesn't matter who you are as long as you're considering the humans around you and making sure that they're having a good experience and empowering them. 
anyone else like to build on that? I'm not going to ask all of you every question, um, but I will victimize at least one of you for every question. You have been warned. Um, anyone else want to share their leadership journey? Probably just to add on to that, because that was a really encompassing answer would be, I think it's about adaptability, which I've found the biggest thing. So to empower and get the most out of the people for themselves and for the company, everyone needs a different approach and to be able to adapt how you actually manage someone and understand them and put them on a path that's best serving them as well as the company, I think is actually quite rewarding because then essentially their success is your success is how I look at it as well. How do you identify the way someone works best or their genius zone. As I read in an article I did not care for the other day. <laughs> for me, I make it easy for myself because um, I got introduced to the DISC model a long time ago, which is just one of those personality ones, but for the workplace. Um, so I actually run a EQ workshop with my whole department and like put a business case together to do it and we all get together and do it. So it makes it a lot easier for me so I know where they are on there so I know what, how they're mostly structured and how to tackle it. But obviously that's not always the case when you're dealing with a large array of people as well as internal and external clients. So I guess it's just trial and error and you just pick up essentially what's working and what's not working. If you're talking really fast and someone's glazing over, you know, you know, to kind of try and slow it down, which is quite hard for me. I can talk really fast without missing a beat. Um, or like the energy levels, it's a lot about body reading. So I think it just takes practice at observing someone and then also not being shy to actually just ask clarifying questions um, as well and get them to repeat things back to you just to make sure they're not just nodding because you're the boss or something. Talking slow is not a skill I have developed, but I am aware it exists. Anyone else? <laughs> yeah, I think I would agree. Clarifying questions are really key because I think as leaders, when we've got our own agenda and things that we need to achieve, sometimes talking at people and giving instructions, and I've certainly learnt a lot of lessons over the years where I felt that my instructions have landed and they've understood and when they haven't, haven't really understood. So making sure you clarify and asking those questions is really key, but also I encourage our team to be curious and ask questions as well because we can't always as leaders catch everything that's going on. So encouraging them to feel safe, to ask questions and um, yeah, challenge, challenge certain things. Amazing. Yeah, very challenging. Um, yeah. Yes, you do challenge me on a daily basis. Have you had a memorable <laughs> leader in your career? What was that that made them effective or not so effective? And you know this is going straight to Cathy. Yes. Well, I had something to add to the last oh, one. Oh, well, chuck it in here as well. I just, I really liked what everyone had to say, but I think um, for me there's also a level of um, setting a clear direction. Um you know, it's really important to support people and to, to kind of bring people together. But I think um, especially as, as per kind of what's your journey, you know, I think as I've sort of come to manage more people and more levels of people, that's become more important, um, you know, really being able to set that clear direction. Um, and particularly when you've got different groups of people doing different things, um, it's still really important to provide kind of an overall direction and give people kind of a really clear um, understanding of where it is that you're heading and, and what it is you're going to do together. Putting in the work Definitely. to like clearly iterate. Yes. Yeah. So sorry, what was the next oh. question? <laughs> Have you had a memorable leader for either good or not so good unless only good um, and then why <laughs> were they a memorable leader? What made them effective or not effective? 
tricky one. I think particularly so coming, tricky. I think particularly <laughs> coming <loaded>. from <laughs> digital media, which is kind of a, an interesting amalgam of media personality type people, <laughs> advertising type people, lots of creatives, some tech people. Yeah. Um, I think something I saw a lot early in my career was people who were amazing, um, amazing leaders in terms of the support they gave their people and how much they were going to bat for you and, and the level that they would kind of go to to protect you. Um, but also maybe not that good at self-preservation. Mm. <laughs> so I, th I think as I've gone along, I've, I've, I've learned to um, look for a bit of a balance. You know, I think there's, there's a good balance to be had from, um, you know, kind of being the fearless leader of your people, but also, you know, managing the context that you're in and making sure that, you know, what you're doing is sustainable and that what your team is doing is sustainable and that you're not kind of, you know, you're not having to sort of set yourself on fire to, to, to sort of get your message across. Or... Put your own oxygen mask on first as yes. the aeroplanes yeah. tell I, I won't name any names. You know? <laughs> <laughs> We've got a heap of questions coming in, which is super exciting because I, we, I mean, I prepared, Arden prepared all of the questions. So we have a lot, but even better than other people have written them as well. And I really like this one. What is a competency or skill or superpower that you use on a daily basis as a leader? And that is going straight to Louise. I would say yes. the super power would be to put any of my personal emotions aside and come ready so literally my house could be on fire hopefully it's not and no one at work would know because to remain professional in charge and in charge of my own emotions means that I'm better able to manage my team because I feel like in the past and it's probably to the previous question if you see your manager kind of frenzied and something's not okay you immediately instill that within yourself so I think I've learned that so for me it's a very big like whatever's going on just push it down and just hold yourself and be professional within the workplace. Do you have some tools to compartmentalise or are you just like... Lots of practice again, yeah. lots of practice, but I would say your usual things that probably every doctor says, like running, yeah. it's that um, meditating, or you can always just do the breath stuff if you don't actually have time, is actually just breathe and go into a room to collect yourself. Um, yeah. And also one thing I also got taught that was really good is if you're having an emotional reaction or you have like an adverse reaction to anything, the best face to pull, which holds a lot of emotion is this, because even though you're frowning, it also looks like you're thinking. So you can just sit in it <laughs> and you can just let it all go into the eyebrows if they move and, you know, just sit there and just like move through it and give I yourself a moment because it because then the other person can actually just think oh they're really contemplating on it but it's like a good, it's an animated one so I thought that was useful. my 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 emotions are all over my face your eyebrow goes up and you're like oh no yeah. <laughs> I made a horrible mistake goodbye everybody I have to go so what you've just said is because of Botox I can't do that yeah yeah <laughs> That's really smart yeah, from a business perspective. But you can still do. You can try to. And it sits there, but it's like it's a good resting to just sit. Does anyone else have a superpower they want to share that makes them a better leader? I think perspective. So, I mean, it, it ties in um, pretty much in a similar fashion, but maintaining perspective at all times, I think that plays into empathy. It plays into yeah. giving that clear direction, being able to manage in a crisis as well, mm -hmm. um, understanding that humans are humans at the end of the day and we're asking them to do things for our benefit as well as theirs. And there are a number of factors that will influence all of our journeys in that. Oh. 
I would definitely say empathy. I try and consider all points of view before I make an assumption. So I'd have to say that's probably one of my my things. There are people that push my buttons though. <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> I've never seen that. <laughs> and it's not me, probably. <laughs> not you. <laughs> Um, awesome. One of the questions we've had is that we've got four generations in the workforce with different ideas about what leadership is and what it means to them. How do your styles differ? And I guess this goes to tailoring your leadership style for particular people. Is there a generational difference, do you find, or is it more on an individual basis? And that is going to go to Kathy. <laughs> um, it's interesting to think about how much generational differences come into it. Um, I think I've noticed that um, more senior people that I work with do tend to have a bit more of a, um, I think, curated approach to leadership um, and tend to see it more as, um, like, it's interesting because I don't think they would describe it as servant leadership, um, but but what they do is very much kind of they've, they've, they've put together a way of being a leader that they think is what people need um, and younger generations tend to be more kind of authentic, I guess. Um, Keep but, it but real. I think, I think there's positives and negatives to both, yeah. right? You know, and, and I think um, an interesting, um, just when Louise was speaking before, it made me think of um, something one of the senior leaders at my company mentioned a while back was, I don't want, I don't want people to see a different me every time. Like I owe it to them to to be not consistent. be yeah to, mm. to have that consistency, um, and so yeah I, I think it's good I I've been told that I'm an authentic leader but that can have positives and negatives as well you know and sometimes you do have to kind of rein in the um, some of the the more random aspects of that and and, and try and do a little bit of both I think <laughs> anyone else this does kind of nicely uh, align to my next poll if I have scheduled them correctly, and the clicker works. Which is, uh, and this is a question for the audience, and then we will flick it to the panel. So again, you have time to prepare. Do you find your leadership style has to be different from colleagues who are men? So this is not for managing people who identify as men. This is comparing yourself to men who are also leaders. Do you think your style varies? Is it more to do with um, I guess, just individual differences? Do you think there is a difference in the way uh, particular genders are perceived in the workplace and how they're meant to lead? This is a hot button topic. I'm going to pick whoever looks the most concerned. <laughs> well, he's just, like, pasted on the biggest smile, like, please no. <laughs> um, I have something I could add to that. Yeah, go on. Um, when you sent us this question in advance, um, yeah. it did make me think of it. And um, I think one thing I thought about was not, I don't know that I change my style, but I think people respond to me a bit differently um, than they might to a male manager. I think particularly like a, a manager that basically is kind of in the, in the regular mold of like a tech guy manager. Um, and that can have that can have positive benefits as well as, yeah. as well as negative. But I don't think I change what I do, but I think, I think, Sometimes people respond to me differently. Yeah, they respond to you yeah, for the same kind of actions. Um, we've got 17 responses. And yes is winning and occasionally is coming up second and no is far behind and there's 12%. One, two, three. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, um, I'm kidding. Mostly. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, awesome. Well, I'm going to flick that one to Linda because I haven't victimised you yet, but you are my boss, so I've picked the best one. Okay, great. Um, so I think I, I don't feel like I need to change my style. If I look at my relationship with... Um, my co-director, James, we have very different leadership styles and I don't feel, um, although I learn things from him and he's learned things from me, we, we have skills that complement each other. But I have worked in places in the past where um, the leadership style has been quite aggressive um, and a lot of those were men. And I'm not saying I've learned some amazing leadership um, things from men and from women. Um, I've had great male leaders, I've had great female leaders, I've had terrible female and male leaders during my career. So I kind of feel like I picked all the good bits from the good ones and left behind all the not, bad stuff. To do, yeah. <laughs> um, but also because I've interviewed so many leaders, I've learned so, many, so much from a lot of my clients as well. So a lot of my clients during my career have been better mentors to me than my leaders have been. So... Yeah. How do you assess leadership in uh, a candidate, say, if they're going for a CTO role? It depends on the competencies required for that particular role and the unique, um, you know, the unique things about that role and what they it's need to so achieve. It's political as an answer. <laughs> <laughs> they're all, each role's different. Yeah. There's different sensitivities, there's different political landscapes, there's different nuances to each and every role. So it just depends on what's required. Sometimes it goes as formal as in psychometric testing, which Siggy's done a lot of stuff in that area. Um, but yeah, it just depends on the role. Beck, you also lead with a man. Um, how do you find your styles? To, obviously, you're very different people in all the best ways, um, but do you find there's a difference? There's definitely a difference in our leadership style, for sure. I think that's one of the things that makes us kind of, we, we say we're a bit of a power team because where I lack in certain skills he certainly picks that up mm. I think I do notice that there's a difference in the way that we interpret things particularly when it comes to emotions or the way that um, people may react or perceive different things that are happening in the workplace and that's um, I, I want to say that comes down to the difference between the male and the female perspective but I think that's changing a lot I don't really think that's the case anymore and, you know, I have certainly been in male-dominated environments in the military. I think I remember my first ever female boss in the military was about 10 years into my career, which was significant as a 17-year-old joining the military. Like, all, all I'd ever known was a male-dominated environment. And I was one female in a team, a large team of men. And I think back then there was this feeling that I had to conform to a particular type of aggressive leadership style. But then at the same time, if you did adopt or adapt to that particular style, you were you were then turned into the villain who yeah. who was not appropriately, you know, addressing people because you were trying to be too aggressive or you were trying to be too assertive. So I think we're, we're seeing a shift at the moment in the workplace where people are becoming that more authentic leader, where they're aware of themselves and they're aware of their strengths and their um, not so good um, traits. And that means that we don't have to necessarily look at it as a, am I a different kind of leader because I'm a male or am I a different kind of a leader because I'm a female, I'm just a person and I have all different types of traits and, and ideologies, et cetera, that influence that. Amazing. Does anyone else want to? 
I think I just wanted to. I think it's actually more expected now to be authentic. So, I worked at a, a company previously, and it was very old school, like men's club, boys club sort of deal. Very much echoed down, like the GMs you couldn't look at sort of deal. And that was my first introduction into the corporate world. So I didn't really know any better until I moved on and realised that a culture like that does not have to exist at all. And I've now that I have been in a culture like that, I don't think I would ever go back to one where I guess someone stands by a title and expects certain respect without doing much for it. Mm. Um, just because we are in a world where, you know, we're expected to be treated like people and so do all the people showing up for us and actually putting their time and effort into creating something amazing for our company. So I believe millennials call them dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. Troglodytes was the word we used <laughs> out on site <laughs> to make it a bit more finesse. Oh, love it. Amazing. <laughs> there is this common misconception or I guess labeling, and it still sadly does exist today and has come out with many uh, women who are looking to crack into leadership positions being hyper-criticized for traits that would either be ignored or praised in men. Um, have you had any experience with that? How do you break through those things where if you're assertive, they label you bossy, or if you're confident, they label you cocky, and they just, like, if you're quiet, you're a pushover, like, there's no real happy medium. How do you overcome that? You've obviously all made it into leadership positions. Is it, is there any tips or tricks you could share? Is there anything you've learned in that experience? Uh, I can probably, do you want to go? No, you can oh. go first. Yeah, I've definitely had that experience. Yeah. Um, uh, and I left. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> it's a legitimate strategy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, like I think obviously didn't leave straight away, but it eventually caused me to leave that organisation and um, and that was fine. It worked out in the end. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a real hard one, I think, if you are in that situation and you have a leader that you feel not safe with and, um, you know, expects you to act a certain way. And that was a situation that I had where I had, was expected to lead with the same level of aggression that this person had and I just didn't feel, that didn't feel authentic to me. Um, I think, you know, you've got to try and find some allies within that business if it's not, if you're not able to leave straight away or find a new job. Um, but definitely life's too short to stay in those sort of situations, I believe, mm -hmm. anyway. And that should always be a strategy, I think, because that happened to me. There was a ceiling that I didn't put there um, and I tried to push through it for a while um, and then I ended up leaving and then got to where I was now, where I am now in like two years. So it just showed how much I was ready for and obviously verbalised it. So I think, yeah, it's important to know that that's always an option. Um, yeah, I think I come from a, obviously my background in the military, military, the government is very much indoctrinated. It's a large organisation and when you're in it, you're in it. And when you have negative experiences like what you've described and what we're hearing, leaving is not always something that seems within your reach. It's something that is quite confronting. Mm. Add to that right now, like I, I, I feel for anybody who's going through that experience right now because we're in such an unstable economy. We've got so many things that are influencing the decisions that we're making yeah. around things like experiences that we're having at work on a personal level. And I think 
it's really a balance and it's about finding the ways if you are in that situation where you can't just leave because that's not a, a welcoming environment or not a safe environment for you it's about finding outlets outside of that but also knowing where your where the line in the sand is for you and how you're going to deal with that kind of behavior and you know I've definitely experienced that in the military we had for a long time there there was a push to promote females over males to ensure that we were getting a bit more of that equality and that actually had the opposite effect for women and in which we were being called out and told that we were only being promoted because we were a female. And that that was heartbreaking because I remember working so, so hard to be promoted, only to be told by my male counterparts that I was bossy and I was a B-I-T-C-H. And I'm only saying that because it's live streaming because I am I swear like a trooper. Oh, I, but, I already um, said a swear. <laughs> Put an explicit warning on this podcast, yeah. Will. Yeah. Yep. Mum, please do. I hope she's not listening. I don't swear. No. Um, but, you know, I was called a number of things and labelled in a number of different ways that I just don't find acceptable now and I would never tolerate in our working environment as a as a executive in the company or even just as a manager or a leader. I would never tolerate it because, to me, the military brought about this saying called the standard you walk past is the standard you accept and that was part of their cultural change. I don't think they they did it as well as they, they could have, but I've stood by that saying in everything I do. Everything that you see, everything that you walk past, if you walk past it, you're accepting that behaviour. And if you don't feel safe to address the behaviour, that's understandable. But if you're an if you're an observer and you're saying that and you feel safe enough and confident enough to deal with it, you should. Mm. But yeah, in the in the military, in that example, I think I never thought I could leave, and I just thought just suck it up put your head down and keep working because that's how I grew up. You were resilient. You just had to keep pushing and eventually it would get better. So I think it's not as clean cut as just being able to leave. Um, it's about identifying what your constraints are at that point in time and finding the right balance. If you can leave, great. Go and find a safe environment. If you can't, then find an outlet. And probably on that when you are in a situation where you cannot leave for financial job, whatever it is, because that is the reality for some people, I would probably suggest trying to like reach out to your networks and getting professional help. And when I say networks, like it's things like this, people that you can actually just lean on, vent on, give you advice on how to handle the situation. Um, but also inside um, how I've kind of combated, I guess, the differences um, in the engineering world, it is very much male dominated and then add a layer of mining onto that I think I've actually just yeah come become accustomed <laughs> at being the only female I do have a female that I hired in my team which is exciting um but I'm usually the only female in the room but there are definitely things upon reflections that I have just learnt and done like I will lower my voice traditionally because I've been taught that, you know, if you have a high-pitched, whitey sort of voice, it can trigger certain things and guys just, like, tune out. And I've physically seen it for some people. Um, there was another example where um, this technical expert was presenting to us and she was a little bit further away from us and there was no way anyone could hear her. I was sitting with everyone, but they all just started to tune out. And instead, of that, I just kind of, like, interrupted her and was like, hey, do you reckon you could speak louder? Like, I can't hear a thing. And this was, like, an hour-long talk and they were all happy to just sit there, but they were so thankful because it wasn't on them. I think they must have felt awkward. I don't know, just tuning out, who's this random person? Um, and then it was a really interactive, productive session. So sometimes just being able to speak up, but 
what I, and that's like me now, I definitely couldn't have done that earlier in my career. So work out where your barometer is in terms of what you're comfortable, in terms of standing up and how to approach things. And just always know that you'll get thicker skin and you'll be able to, you know, be that person that you wanted to be a lot earlier on and stand up for something else. Um, in a softer sense, when you're trying to put a point forward, what I've always found is if you want to be heard and it's frustrating to think that this is how you have to do it is I normally have to bring some of the guys on board. And I say guys mainly because all the technical experts, are, we don't have any females, but I will get, so whoever it is in those positions, get them across your point of view that you want to make. So that in the meeting, it's not just you saying that, it's kind of like you and other people that they may I guess, respect the more. The, idea. Yeah. My it's peers. actually their idea. Oh, it's good now. Cool. Um, but yeah, I've felt that helps a lot because then, you you know, you're not the only one pitching something uh, in a meeting and you get a lot more support and it's just a lot easier. And I'm all about efficiency. So. Have you been <laughs> supported by men in the workplace and what is the right way to do that? Because so, like, there are a lot of really fantastic guys who want to support people but aren't sure how best to do it without accidentally like making it seem like they they you need their help like where is the line what examples have you seen where men have actually helped in a really positive way that has like respected your autonomy while still boosting your message or is there is it do you have to choose one or the other I have a bit of a black and white approach to that one, which, which I think has, has come about nice. over time, which is that, you know, it's really lovely if you want to, like, support my thing that I'm doing or whatever, but promote me. Like, hire me, promote me, hire other women, promote other women. I, I think that's really it. Everything else is just niceties, you know. I think is... if you're not actually bringing women into your organisation and actually promoting them and making sure that there's a pathway, um, then all the other niceties are just niceties. They're not really anything yeah, women more are than that. over-mentored but under-championed. Yes. It tends to be a general thing. Like everyone's like, I'll give you advice on how to do stuff and it doesn't really translate because everyone just assumes they know how to code. And, uh -huh. and the worst <laughs> vortex of that is when they go find another woman to mentor you because she's a woman and you're a woman. So, like, you've so, you, you know, but it doesn't mean anything. Like, we are all the same. You know, it's yeah. crazy that they only just figured that out now. It's, it's <laughs> nice if that's what people want, but it's, it's, not, it, it's not the same. And I, I, I think there's just not... If, if you're not walking the walk, then, you know, fine. Be, 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 you know, I, I expect people to be nice to me in the office as they are to their other colleagues. I expect them to be supportive of me as they are to everybody else. I don't think it's really any, I don't know, I don't think you get a gold star <laughs> just being like, oh, hello, woman, I hope you're doing well. Yeah, I think there's a fine line between, like, being friendly and being, you wouldn't be like this if I was a man, so please just treat me like a normal person. Um, but is that, is sometimes extra, and I guess this goes to the, I hate the term diversity hire because most, there are so few women that most people who make it into leadership levels are absolutely amazing and that's just the way it is because that's the only, re the only way you make it to leadership in tech as a woman. Like, Where's the where is the line, I guess, between promoting women to promote equity and promoting women because they're the I don't know, yeah, 
I mean, they and they are the best, but how do we get more mediocre women, I guess, is what I want. I want mediocre women. I think there's a difference between hiring to hit a number yeah. and hit a percentage of, you know, gender diversity in a workforce versus in the hiring process, recognising that men and women typically represent themselves differently. There is a very big difference between that and if you go back to that, how do men support that diversity in the workplace? How do men be more aware? It's literally that, it's self-awareness, it's situational awareness, and it's championing, but championing in a way that's recognising understated qualities that, that women aren't calling out in themselves. It's also unconscious bias to add to that, which is a big one that came through ours, because I've been, yeah, I'm just reflecting on that. I don't think I've had some good males as maybe role models, but I think the advice would just for them to educate themselves and be a little bit more aware Yeah, because that's where they probably let you down. Like I've sat in a meeting before with two men next to me and I was assumed to be a note taker. It's usually the assumption I get even now, which is quite humorous, <laughs> but <laughs> that I had someone and I was there for the technical analysis of this piece of hardware and they were kind of just the two guys that I was with were just kind of there to listen in and get my opinion on it. But yeah, the person sat directly across and physically did not make eye contact with me, which is really hard when I'm like in the middle of two people and made eye contact with both of them. And it's situations like that where I, I was quite young, so I was quite taken aback by it because I was like, am I going crazy? Like this person is literally... <laughs> like it was Just a really well-timed I actually blink. thought it was quite gifted how much he did not look at me until I actually started asking questions and he realised he was actually... I was there for a reason besides notes. But, like, either I would have thought it was kind of disappointing that neither of them picked up on that because it was so obvious. It was kind of like, um, and we did some unconscious bias training, which I thought was quite insightful, but I think it's more for them to educate themselves and that's probably why they don't know how to champion, they don't know where to overstep because they actually are so scared of overstepping or doing something. Just, like, educate yourselves and treat us like normal people. We're here and we're professionals. If you want to practice um, beating, you know, the bias, go and do car shopping. Like, don't buy a car. Just as a female, go to a car yard and buy no male with you. It will take a male once, honestly. It's the most interesting experiment ever. Um, but go there and just pretend to buy a car. I know. Or know anything so about cars. So good when you're the one. Yeah, but do, go and do that because you build up the resilience and you start to learn, like, what the cues are as well for somebody who has got that unconscious bias and you start to listen to the questions that a car salesman or car salesperson will ask you as a woman compared to what they'll ask the men. And, yeah, it's. I found that to be a really interesting experience and I actually started going around and just looking at cars just for the sake of having that experience. If you want a yeah. similar high, I, I went to J-Car once with my dad because I was looking for some resistors for like a circuit board I was building. Dad has no idea. Oh, sorry, no <laughs> beef idea and what any of that stuff is. And he just, the guy kept talking to my dad. My dad was like, don't look at me, I don't know. <laughs> and it's fun and we love it. Uh, <laughs> but your credibility won them over, right? Because you knew what you were talking about. No, I was just like, these ones, thank you, goodbye. Yeah, <laughs> I think I've just so well trained myself to do that anyway now that I, it, it doesn't occur to me. Like when I go to buy a car, yeah. I'm, I'm, but I am doing all that 
Right, yeah. I, like I've trained myself to to do that yeah. in every Just situation. Second nature. Try a guitar shop as well. Yeah. You'll get yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You'll get the same. Or when you go and buy new tires for your car, like the different engagement that you get there as well. There are so many different social experiments that you could totally do to see where you're comfortable and also what that the engagement is like so that you can see how you respond. And it's like not a workplace setting, so it's an excellent place to make very horrible mistakes or successes. And you get to test drive some really awesome cars. <laughs> I did go car shopping with my partner and he does not know a single thing about cars and neither do I, but the guy was like, him, him, he did it, it was him. <laughs> um, yeah, very interesting experience. Uh, we've got another question from the crowd, which is how do you leverage reverse mentoring to help you grow as a leader? And I'm not 100% sure what reverse mentoring means, but I'm throwing it to you guys just in case anyone does. I'm assuming it's mentoring, but the other way around. Like you're like mentoring someone? Mentoring your one up. Who wrote this question? What do you I mean? wrote it. There you go. Okay. Tracy, please clarify. Mm. Mentoring when you take gorgeous, young, emerging talent out and you get coached in turn. Oh, so you're mentoring someone and in the process of teaching them, you learn something about yourself. And then what was the question on it? Partnerships between like 22, 26, 27 and 62. So yeah. board, board, board was emerging. Like a skills exchange. Yeah. Has anyone done it? Which is super common in tech, right? Because the early adopters of new technology are typically the younger generations or people who understand how to use that tech. And then when you've got leadership in tech-based companies, typically they're not as well-versed in that technology. So that's an interesting concept. I don't know. I, <laughs> I feel like I'm too on the spot for that one. Someone before, like, had them say, do you want, can I, can I be your mentee? Or however the process works. I was probably the opposite in terms of someone older. Yep. And then they were kind of my mentor. And then we kind of it more just turned into like we were both interested in helping in each other's careers sort of deal and giving new insights and new ideas to what we're doing because we're kind of at the same, she was like a C-suite, but like in tech sort of deal, embedded systems, that sort of stuff. And it worked quite well, I thought. And it also made me feel Okay, because I was like, I didn't even know I had inside <laughs> this person. How did you create that relationship? I always get a lot of feedback, and I know women are over-mentored, but say I am incredibly socially anxious and I would never go up to someone and say, will you be my mentor? Um, so I don't, like, how, how do you start a relationship like that if you'd like formal mentoring? So if you aren't good at networking, there's actually formalised stuff for tech people in various industries where you do get put with someone who's of a certain level in their career and you get mentored up with them. Um, and you do, you, you know, people come into your lives for a chapter, a page or like, you know, a book sort of deal is how I kind of view it. And so I've had mentors. I don't have them anymore. They served a purpose then and there for both of us. And then there's people that you just meet. Like one of my probably longest standing mentors are the ones that I cherish the most. I'm She was giving leadership training randomly at one of my old companies and we're just talking afterwards. And I'm, and that was, you know, six years ago. And she's given, she's probably my go-to now for handling some sticky situations, so. Yeah, amazing just having someone to bounce ideas yeah, off. Yeah, and, and someone yeah. who's been there and done it. I'm probably especially lucky with her because her whole job is around that. 
yeah. dealing with yeah. that. So she's <laughs> very well versed in it. But um, definitely finding someone just to bounce ideas, even if you just want to bounce your idea off, this is how yeah. I was going to handle it. Like a human flesh wall to speak at. Yeah, probably a horrible way to phrase it. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's some nice ways that you can bring that reverse mentoring idea into your culture as well. Like this is fairly software specific, but um, but I'm really intentional with all my teams about, um, you know, promoting the idea that everyone should review each other's code. You know, there, there should be no hierarchy in code review. Like co code review should always be carried out junior people should be reviewing senior people's code and vice versa hmm. um, and, and make sure that there's a real mix and that's something that I do kind of work with the engineering managers under me to kind of try and make sure that that's happening, that we're just kind of building that into a more into our everyday culture rather than trying to make it like you have to kind of go and have this like specific mentoring relationship but just trying to kind of promote that idea that everybody's got something to share and that everyone can learn something from everybody else. I think if you kind of build that into some of your systems and processes then that can have hmm. a really nice kind of cultural hmm. effect as well. Yeah, awesome. And I've managed to read this question on the screen. Is I don't know which one's smaller, this text or that text. What is your view on showing vulnerability as a leader? And I'm going to throw to Louise first because I think that will be relevant and then we'll flick to someone else. Showing vulnerability as a leader. I think it is imperative to do, to show that you're actually a human and things affect you. How do you balance that with your compartmentalization oh, I'm not going to stop bawling in front of my team. Yeah. <laughs> you can show emotion without showing emotion and still remain professional. I guess it's any time you've heard someone speak and you can actually, they're remaining very put together and poised, but you can tell that there's emotion behind them. It's that sort of tact that you bring, I guess, to a conversation. But vulnerability creates a safe space, which is all about team culture. You don't want to be sitting up here with your whole team feeling like they're below you. You want them to be able to come to you regardless of which level down they are because you want that to be your culture as well. So I'm kind of like in sort of my department's kind of like we're all sitting here together. The only time there's an official thing is when we have to like do official things and that's just a certain like point uh, that we have to do that and then we can actually just all be working together. And I think that all gets bred by having vulnerability, which is really transparency as well. Yeah, definitely don't um, bore your eyes out unless it's something really serious. But, Maybe um, as a treat. No, um, thank <laughs> no I think. Yeah. <laughs> There's um, no crying in baseball or recruitment. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's really important that you share some of your values and mistakes that you've made because I think sometimes mm. as a leader I know that I've made this mistake many times in the past or particularly earlier in my career where I felt I had to be perfect and I could never make a mistake. Um, and I realised that that was putting pressure on other people to live up to those expectations. So I deliberately had to start sharing some of my failings and my mistakes to, in order for them to be, for me to be more approachable to them. Yeah, and comfortable to admit. When comfortable when they're admitting, yeah, admitting a mistake that they've made. Yeah, definitely. I think that's really key. Mm. We had our vice president kick off our workshop that I ran for my department with the two biggest mistakes and regrets he's made in his career as well, just to, like, set the scene, mm. put everyone at ease. Did you feel more at ease or vaguely threatened? Um, <laughs> it was I, digitally, so it was fine. I regret hitting that man that annoyed me with my car. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I said I was sorry. <laughs> mm. Beck, would you like to add anything to that one? Um, 
No, I mirror all the same comments. I think vulnerability is really important. I think finding the balance is really hard. And all it takes is being burnt once from sharing your vulnerability or being vulnerable with an employee to want to withdraw and to not continue to do that. And I think it takes some really strong or really good self-awareness um, to be able to recover from it. So I think that's probably the only thing I wanted to add is that it's it's great to say that it's it's important to be vulnerable and I agree. And I'm sure all of my team will say I am very, very much a squishy human with them. Um, I say, you know, we're all pink and fleshy and we're all still human and have emotions and I can't hide that from you and I shouldn't hide that from you. Um, I just certainly don't cry. My mother told me not to cry. I'm working through that with psychologists. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I think it's, it's also has, you know, the opposite thing that you've got to consider is that there is definitely a balance that needs to be achieved and that you need to be able to recover from being burnt when you are vulnerable with somebody. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely learned that lesson. Yeah. I think it's a good, um, or I find it's a good way to find the line is to think and be intentional about whether you're kind of putting your discomfort on to someone else or not. I think if you're yeah. sharing something that they can relate to, learn from, then that's yeah. a good level. Yeah. I think as soon as you get to the point, especially as a like as a manager, even not so much for like a leader, but as a manager, you know, I think then you do have to be a little bit careful about um, not putting your emotional discomfort onto someone else to, no. to kind of, um, even if that's not what you're looking for, but but people can perceive that as, as, as kind of being in an awkward place or like, you know, a place that's not really um, appropriate. So no. I, think I try and always keep that in, in, in mind, yeah. you know, if, it, you know, am I, am I putting it on someone else or am I just sharing something that's just about well, and if you're transparent, so, so transparency is one of the biggest ways of being vulnerable, right, is telling people what's what's going on in a business. So if your business is having a really terrible month and you're really struggling or you're concerned about being able to pay payroll, heaven forbid you're ever in that situation, you may have the opportunity to be vulnerable with certain elements of your team about that. But there are certain like people in your team that you wouldn't share that with because it would create unnecessary burden on yeah. them and fear. Yeah. And that has the opposite effect of what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. But then the other part is... Uh, vulnerability through empathy. So uh, leadership with sympathy is not where we should be. We, leadership with empathy is where we should be and empathy requires vulnerability. But you're right, it's definitely a very particular balance that you've got to achieve, yeah. Um, I guess this kind of goes with like finding where the fine line is. Does leadership become more intuitive or is it a skill you need to keep learning or both? You should keep, keep learning. You should keep learning. But do you Leaders feel like... you think they've learned how to be a leader is, yeah. And I guess they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah. Do you feel like your leadership skills and your management skills and finding those lines and knowing what works for people has become, like, easier to detect and just exercise as a skill as you've gotten more experience? Or is it still every time, like, I have to put a same amount of cognitive effort into this? There's definitely things I think that become easier and natural. In terms of what we were all just speaking about, like finding that line, I feel like that's quite natural for me now. Um, looking back, I didn't even remember because it is just, you know, there is certain things that you say, do, act, ways that you present yourself. And that was very consciously done as I was going up and usually by mistakes. Like if you do share, open up with someone and it doesn't go the way that you want it to go or whatnot, you learn very quickly um, how to gauge that within the professional sort of friendships that you're building uh, in there. But, yeah, I definitely think there's always ways. I encourage my team to actually give me feedback every two weeks when we meet one-on-one -on -one, because everyone should be able to take feedback as well as give it and learn from it. 
One of my favourite um, speeches I've ever watched was given by um, the United States Air Force Chief of Staff to uh, a bunch of students coming out of university and going into the military. His name was General Mark Welsh, if you want to go and watch his speech. But his, um, he talks about his failures as a leader and one of his biggest failures was thinking that he'd reached the pinnacle of leadership and then he knew what leadership was and that he didn't need to continue to develop and earn his leadership position. Mm. And his quote is, um, leadership is a gift it's given to you by those who follow and you have to be worthy of it. And I think when we talk about earlier, we talked about the generational differences, we talked about, you know, all the differences of just being a human. There, there is no solid state there. It's constantly changing. So to be worthy of that gift, you also have to continually learn and change and progress with your workforce. Yeah, I think looking for new challenges is a good part of that. You know, I think once you've got once you've got the context that you're in and, and, and you feel pretty comfortable operating there, it's really good to then look for, you know, other challenges around leadership and, and you know, getting involved in different, you know, different groups or um, different projects or different kinds of things. Like I think trying, like exercising that muscle of like doing it in a different context is, is good too. Speaking of exercising muscles in leadership, when you see leadership potential in someone else, how can you help them by mentoring or like encouraging them in a leadership context? You can promote them. What if <laughs> that's always an option? Yeah, I guess, I guess if, like from firsthand, like if you see maybe potential in someone in your organisation, maybe they're a direct report, they're not quite, they're either not quite at the level or there's no space for them up here. I don't know how tech teams work, but that feels like a right thing. You could what advocate. do you do there? Yeah, advocate. Advocate for them. Um, assist them where you can. So if they're in your team, you probably have a lot more control over, you know, if you, you're supposed to present at something, maybe putting them at the forefront to get them noticed by other people. So when you... Give them responsibility. Yeah. Right. And also communicate with them and let them know that you have a plan for them and there is a future within the company because yeah. people like that usually get snapped up quite quickly. Yeah. And larger organisations as well. I think it's important for anyone that wants to develop their career in leadership is... You really do have to work on your personal brand and visibility in an organisation and form relationships with other people outside of your department. Yeah. And you get that experience and, yeah, helping facilitate those introductions, helping them, you know, to, I guess to understand the broader business context and yeah. challenges yeah. Um, rather than just in their little area. There are simple ways as well to foster leadership opportunities. I think mentoring inside a company is a way of allowing somebody to develop their leadership skills. I think another one is something as simple as when you're onboarding a new staff member. To me, that's still them being able to learn and grow as a leader because they're having to put themselves in the shoes of another person who's feeling particularly vulnerable and they're having to allow or empower them again, coming back to empowerment and perspective, to then go in and be their best self in that role. So I think there are little things that you can do that aren't these huge, you know, promotions, et cetera, if you don't have the opportunity to do so. I'm going to jam two questions in together. So I hope this is coherent, but it's, it's tangentially related to this um, imposter syndrome. This question is, you all have strong but different personalities. How do you bring your true self to work while also adhering of what's expected of a leader? And on the same token, how do you overcome imposter syndrome if you have it? If you don't, what's it like? Um, and how do you encourage in others that you see their potential but they haven't quite seen it themselves? So that's a lot 
jammed into, it's actually multiple questions, but I refuse to use any punctuation. Um, I'm going to give it to Linda first, because you look scared. Um, that's what I'm after. I'm scared. I think um, everyone doubts themselves from time to time. I hate using the term imposter syndrome because it just makes it feel like it's just this big monster that's outside of you. Would you prefer shaky, shaky, no good? <laughs> no? Fair enough. <laughs> um, it's a tough one because I've, you know, definitely during my career it has stopped me from doing things um, that normally I wouldn't. I think as I'm getting older and more experienced I'm less likely to let things hold me back, but sometimes I still, you know, you, you, I've been doing this job for 14 years. Sometimes, you know, I wake up and go, can I actually find this person that my client wants me to find? Am I, you know, am I yes, you as can. good as I used Historically. to be? Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I think you've just got to really have a really strong network of people around you that believe in you, that you can bounce things off, that you can talk about your fears. For that, that person for me is probably James. Um, and a couple of my girlfriends and I've got a couple of clients that I talk to about this stuff all the time but just having that strong network of people that do believe in you um, because it's it's just fear at the end of the day and we all have we're all there's things that we're all scared of um, skin bags of anxiety sometimes basically. you just need to like just suck up the first 10 seconds of it and then you're fine <laughs> <laughs> I think we often get conf we confuse imposter syndrome with self-doubt. So imposter syndrome has a very specific um, diagnosis effectively. There's a lot of studies into imposter syndrome and it's more than self-doubt. It's actually a feeling of being fake and being discovered as being fake. And I think a lot of people suffer from that. And the... Um, I've, um, you know I love podcasts. I mean, if you heard my my version of the podcast, I talked about podcasts. There's one called The Anxious Over Anxious Achiever, and they did a really great podcast on um, on imposter syndrome, and that was where I kind of realised that that's something I had because I didn't realise that things like procrastination at work and not actually wanting to start a project was actually part of imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. and it's something that we do as self sabotage. And so I I always thought it was just self doubt. It's self doubt. It's self doubt. But no. I, have, I was living with a constant fear that I was going to be found out to be fake and that I didn't deserve to be somewhere. And for me, that was very different to self-doubt or feeling like I couldn't achieve something small. And one of the things that they talk about is, you know, obviously self-awareness is a really big thing. It's in that um, constant desire to have personal growth and understand who you are as a person. But this particular researcher talked about how um, overcoming imposter syndrome is achievable, but the triggers will always be there. So it's about recognising the triggers and then having techniques and tools to be able to prevent what follows on from the trigger, which is usually that spiralling that occurs and that um, self-sabotage and the procrastination. I don't know, I always thought it was ADHD, but honestly, I think sometimes um, imposter syndrome can come out like some of the symptoms of ADHD where you do not do your work for a long period of time and then you beaver away for like the last few hours and think, oh my God, I'm going to get fired because I haven't done my job properly and I don't deserve to be here. So yeah, I, I definitely have suffered from it and I do still have a lot of triggers to imposter syndrome and I'd certainly say it's a lot um, bigger than just being about self-doubt and confidence. Are there any particular tools that you've found um, more effective for you? Um, 
if you're familiar with um, the five-second rule, have you ever heard of the five-second rule? When you drill? drop a biscuit on the ground, you shout, five-second <laughs> rule, seconds. and you eat it again. <laughs> yeah. Everyone at the wedding is horrified. Um, That's the 10-second rule. Oh, um, But close. No, the five-second rule um, was is, speak, is spoken about quite um, frequently by Mel Robbins, who I don't know if anyone listens to who she is, but basically it's recognising that our natural, so self-doubt, imposter syndrome, all negative thoughts are typically a learned trait and that the way in which we deal with any learned trait is that we teach ourselves to do the opposite. And so the five second rule is basically when you have a negative self-doubt or a negative thought or something goes on in your brain that's part of imposter syndrome, that you literally count down from five to one. And then at the, bo at the bottom of that moment, what you're going to do is you're going to turn that negative thought around and you're going to bring forward something positive that you think about yourself in that moment. And that's teaching you to stop being so negative in that moment and to take pause and be able to deal with the situation in a more um, appropriate way. Yeah. Five second rule works, trust me. Retraining yeah. your brain. I've heard that before. I never did took yep. the five seconds. Maybe that was my issue. But if basically for any negative thought, you think of the outcome that could have been opposite, which is positive. Yeah. Um, the other one I have also with a, like, I don't know, something that I've done in terms of starting something because I am notorious for that. I'm not sure why it could be because of that, but what I do is I tell myself I'm going to write the worst version of whatever it is. Like it's going, I tell myself how bad it's going to be because it's kind of like I know it's going to be bad, so then I just start it. And then once I start it, it started, so then I can just like dive on into it and it seems to get do the trick for me. I don't know if it works for anyone else, but I literally just set myself up to say this is going to be horrible. I'm just going to do it. But then I'm like, oh, it's so much easier editing. <laughs> Let me just make set this what I want. Yeah. Overachieve. Yes. Yeah, nice. It <laughs> works for me. So, yeah, mine's like the first I, 10 seconds. I had a great conversation on this topic with someone in my team not long ago. Um, and, and they're they're awesome and they're quite a um, they're quite an introverted person and, and they said to me you know how do you deal with imposter syndrome um and I said oh, I'm just lucky that by the time I, I was I was senior enough not to care by the time they invented imposter syndrome <laughs> <laughs> you're the one person <laughs> it wasn't invented when I was like going through all of this um but but I thought about it and, and I said to them man I've been told that I can't do this from the start, you know, people assume I'm not good enough, I'm not technical enough, I'm not credible, I'm not this, I'm not that. And I'm like, I'm still here, I'm still doing it. So why would I, why would I think that? <laughs> like, why would I get this far and look at myself and go, hmm. oh, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm, I don't have the right to be here. Like, I, and I think particularly for women that have come through kind of tech and, and, you know, I think particularly like even more so than me, right? Like I've, worked in teams with more women than than you and and more you know more women leaders and, and everything you know like military like mining like even more so um you know you've had to prove yourself a million times like you, you had to prove yourself you had to be better than everyone to get in you had to be better than everyone to get promoted you had to be better than everyone to work on a good project you had to be better than everyone to be a manager like you've done it you've proved it <laughs> like, and, and I think now I'm like I'm pretty solid. Like, I'm done. I'm oh my god! Not, Do you have the healthiest things? But don't worry about Who's that. Who's this lady? She's got such a healthy <laughs> mental state. She's like, you know what? 
I'm good. <laughs> I, I really appreciate all the all, all, all these thoughtful, but, thoughtful ways to deal with it. So that's for you. That's the end state, right? Of the five second rule. That's the end state is to be able to recognise like that that particular thought or feeling that you've got that is part of imposter syndrome or feeling fake is is not correct. It's not true. You can show through evidence and your ex experiences and your lived experiences that it's not true. Yeah. And I think. You know, even if we don't have imposter syndrome or you haven't had experiences that understanding what it looks like, understanding what it feels like for people, even th if they describe it to you, like it, it literally is, imposter syndrome is tied to anxiety, very heavily tied to anxiety. And the other statistic that I wasn't really, you know, very much tracking, and I think, you know, we're in a diversity group here, but men suffer um, imposter syndrome just as much as women. They just don't talk about it. They don't recognise that that's what it is. So as a leader or as an ex a manager, you have to understand that these are all the things that going, are going on in people's minds that are affecting the way that they behave at work. And that in turn does affect their performance. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, amazing. Um, it's almost 7.19. I never set an end date for this. So I'm going to ask one more question and then that feels about right. Uh, um, and it's the last question from OEM. And it's the, I mean, it's the last question I'm going to ask. It's not the last question on the board. Sorry, everyone else. Text it to me and I'll probably forget it's there because the ADHD. Um, let's focus on other people. When was a time that you were really impressed with another person's leadership? And I'm going to ask everyone this because it's the final one. And, Beck, you look stressed. So it's straight to – okay, all right, straight to Louise. Um, <laughs> I can think of one time our company was going through quite a vicious sort of takeover, amalgamating thing, and so there was a lot of uncertainty within the office, within the different entities of the company as well. And one of – the company's managing directors um, kind of addressed us all and got us in there. And he was, it was kind of the first time we'd gotten any information. And I found him to just be so transparent. But obviously, looking back, he was obviously as transparent as he could have been professionally. But how he came across to myself and our colleagues is like he was letting us know he was taking us on the journey he explained it all and this is to a large crowd of people on varying states in their minds in terms of this, this migration process um and I just found it to be really and then he stayed and like answered a lot of questions and it was kind of his caring his transparency he was very human in it so probably vulnerable is the word that we had earlier without being like over vulnerable but he just felt very trusting to us and I found that to be really settling for a lot of the office at a time that was quite tumultuous for all of us. Mm, amazing. Are you ready, Beck? Uh, I, you know what's funny is, again, it plays to this whole way that we go negative versus positive quite quickly is I can think of a million examples of really terrible leadership and I'm sure everyone in the room is probably thinking the same thing as that question was asked. But I really struggle to pinpoint positives because I feel like, the positive experiences are somehow outweighed quite frequently by the negatives with leadership. Um, and, you know, the one positive experience I have uh, with a leader was in a deployed environment. You're in a deployed environment, I mean, it's not relatable, so it's, it's hard to talk about here, but you're away from your family, you're in a foreign environment, um, you, you're missing the the you know, little nuances of being in a Western culture, being with all of your loved ones and all the things that you're used to, the lifestyle is completely different. But when you go through significant trauma, and I remember having a boss and 
please don't get me wrong, when I said there's a lot of negatives, I think the, the um, category that I came from was a very fast promoting category. And I think one thing that's often missed in leadership is when you promote quickly, you're promoted based on your competency in your job. You're not promoted based on your competency as a leader or on the traits that you possess as a leader. So as you go up through the ranks, you're effectively only being promoted to a manager's position, but you're getting dubbed as a leader and therefore you're being told to lead a team, but you're never actually being given the opportunity to learn leadership skills. So in my category in particular, you know, our promotion rate was so quick that I really didn't experience any positives with a lot of the leadership team until in a deployed environment where I had a leader that wasn't part of my intelligence function. And um, that particular person, I just remember, we, we went through a really traumatic event and that person um, recognised that at that point in time they just needed to take everyone away, get them into a safe place and allow them the opportunity to vent everything that had just occurred and to really put all of their emotions and feelings out on the table and then they were vulnerable at the same time about how they were feeling about what had occurred and I think in that particular environment that was really important because we couldn't stop doing our job we couldn't just stop we couldn't quit we couldn't leave we couldn't call home and talk about it because it's you know deployed environment but having that opportunity to just sit in a safe space and talk that was probably the best leadership example I have leading with empathy yep, yep. amazing Linda um Probably not that I've experienced personally. Everyone's just, terrible. Uh, you can tell your worst. No, you can tell you the one that's bad, but it no, has to be I've, funny. I've seen, um, I've seen my, some of my clients and how they've managed quite traumatic situations that have happened in in the workplace with certain staff members that have, um, you know, been, you know, awful tragedies that have happened, and just observed how they've dealt with that with their team and their staff. I think it's a you know very similar situation mm -hmm. where they've really made sure that you know, the rest of the team have heard and mm. felt safe. So I think that's when when things like that happen, that's just, I think that's where true leadership really does come out. Kathy? Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think um, I think there's a level of trust that you can only have in someone when you've seen them put aside their self-interest for their team. Um, and I think there's no easy way around that. Like you don't, you just don't earn that trust until you've shown that people can trust you in some way. And I think there's a really, you know, there's a really important balance between then like going too far and sharing too much or putting yourself in a bad position. Um, but I think you just never really, you never really earn people's trust until you've shown them that you're worth it. So um, I think that's something that I've seen. I've seen that from a lot of people, you know, I think you look at every leader and like they're all imperfect in some way, but I think all the leaders that I've worked under that I respect have done that at some point. Um, and that's, that's kind of the difference for me. Willing to get real. Well, that was slightly sadder of a question than I had intended on Fisher. <laughs> Sorry. Thanks, no, I'm I told you. No, it's a really, I think leading with empathy is such a skill and I think it's something that we can all really embrace. Um, and that is a skill set that women to make sweeping generalizations are taught at an earlier age or at least, I don't know, ingrained whatever society. Um, and I think it's something we can capitalize on as well. It's one of our greatest strengths, as well as occasionally one of the things people mess us up for um, in a fun and approachable way. All right, well, that's the end of that. Goodbye, everybody on the live stream. <laughs> Thank you for joining in. Um, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I feel really weird addressing people online and in person. And thank you to our panelists. You're amazing.